So we're in this series. I'm going to end it today. Insights into the new birth's pursuit of holy living. This is the third and final part. Two weeks ago, we talked about the preparation necessary in the pursuit of holy living in verses 13 through 16 of the first chapter. And we dealt with meeting three challenges that are in verse 13 we have to do with girding up the loins of your mind, being sober, and resting our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to us uh, in Jesus Christ. We talked two weeks ago about not conforming to the world's image and also embracing apartness, agios, that word holy, uh, really refers to coming and being apart. Last week, we looked at the price paid for the pursuit of holiness and our response to that price. And we delved deeply into the fact that one of the prices was that the Father made himself available to mankind to call upon him. In, in the text, it says, and if you call upon the Father, who is out partiality, judges each one according to its work. And that our response, because the admonition from Peter was to uh, make our conduct holy while we are here on earth during our stay, our response for him making himself available should clearly be reverent living while we're here. We're only here for a short time. We looked at the price of his son giving his life the precious blood of Jesus Christ and that our response to the Son of God giving his life and shedding his blood is to renounce aimless conduct. Remember, we looked at the word aimless and what it meant. is uh, unprofitable. Living and doing and being engaged in things that are unprofitable spiritually. We are to renounce that. For as we live and we breathe, Christ is to be in us, living his life through us. And finally, the price of the resurrection, the phenomenal power that the Father displayed in resurrecting Jesus from the tomb and promising he would do so, our response to that would be that we then have a secure faith and hope in God. If he raised Christ from the dead, he's going to raise my body from the dead, and one day I will reign with him forever. And so today, as we come and end this series together, we're looking at the final section, which has to do with the purifying works in a pursuit of holy living. And this is where it becomes real practical uh, for us. So, you know, hold on to your hat. There may be things here that are studied and discovered. They're like, whoa, man, I need the Spirit of God to alter these things in my life. And if that's you, then, then this is where you need to be. This is the section of Scripture you and I need to be in. This is the, the place we need to be in this morning. This is what you need to be watching at home. This is that part where we take all of those concepts of the preparation to pursue holy living in our life, the price that was paid so that we can live a holy life, and now the practice 
the purifying work. Someone once said it this way, that the response of holy living that should result from the new birth is now applied in this section. And he deals with three areas in the verses that we're going to talk about. He deals with uh, a sincere love for the brethren, repentance, and the desire for spiritual growth. And I would like us this morning to divide those three things up into two sections. What do I mean by that? Well, I'd like us to look at what, what God has done at salvation and then what we're to do in light of our salvation. What God does the moment we are born again and then what we are to do in light of that. I draw your attention back to uh, verse 22, and it says that since you have purified your souls, I want to stop there briefly to ask a question that is the reflection of a statement that is made. First of all, we see that it, there's a fact. The soul of mankind has been purified. Peter says, since you have purified your soul." The question is, did you purify it or did God purify it? And I believe the answer is right in front of us in the very next words when it says, in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Your choice and my choice to obey the gospel once it comes to our ear gate once it comes to our heart gate and we hear the message of forgiveness in Christ and the promise of an eternal life, that when we obey the gospel message, God does a huge and deep work in purifying our soul. It is the positive result of obeying the truth of the gospel. God does this work. So that did not uh, stop the psalmist, David. In Psalm 119.9, he says, How can a young man cleanse his way? How? By taking heed according to your word. By obeying the word, by obeying the gospel when it came to your ears and my ears. And God says, okay, first I'm going to purify your soul. And this is a, an ongoing work because we know that just as trials refine our faith, all of you have signed up, you know, to be um, refined. When you came to Christ, Jesus said, wonderful, now let me sift and refine my work in your heart. But just as trials refine our faith, obedience to God's word refines our character. And anyone, any Christian this morning that has decided, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, right? Anyone that has made that decision to follow Christ by obeying his word has discovered something. They've discovered the joy of obedience. Because there's great joy in obedience and there's great frustration in disobedience. 
Someone once put it this way, the pain is in resisting. If we'll just submit and obey. Recently, I was talking to a young man who, who broke off a relationship with a young lady that he had met who, in his own words, was perfect in every way. Just had everything going on that he knew he wanted in perhaps a life mate, except she didn't know Jesus. And things built to a point where this young man realized that the, the hole in her heart is a hole that he can never fill. The hole in your heart this morning, if there is one, is a hole intended by God for God to fill. A spouse can't fill it. A career can't fill it. Uh, a hobby can't fill it. Fellowship can't fill it. Church can't fill it. It has to be a personal relationship with a living and resurrected Savior. That's why we've been created. And this young man just amazed me as I talked with him. He's, he realized he needed to break it off. And as hard as that was, it was hurtful and painful. It was obedience. And any of you young people that are listening this morning, if you're you know, in that place where you're in pursuit of or thinking about or maybe just kind of you know, ping-ponging through life, hoping that God brings you a life mate, wait. And when you meet that person, if you are one who embraces dating or you go out, here's my counsel to the same young man was, what is coming out of their mouth as you sit across the dinner table, as you're playing a board game or whatever you do? What is that person you're interested talking about? Because it should be their relationship with God Almighty. So the first thing that God does is he purifies the soul. Another thing that God does in salvation is he brings new life, new birth. And Peter reminds his readers again that they've experienced a supernatural change and that this change in their lives should be evidenced by a changed relationship with God's other children. I love what one commentator, he said, a purified life allows one to love purely those who share the same faith. In verse 22, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter uses the word sincere when he said, in sincere love of the brethren. We get that English word from a Latin derivative of sincere. And the Latin sincere means without wax. When a sculptor would sculpt something for a customer or someone who is their patron, and he was going to offer this, this labor of sculpting something from, from either, most of the time it was stone, that if something happened during the process of sculpting, you know, you, chisel, chisel, if during that process he clipped off an ear or, you know, made a dent in the nose or did something to the neck, that sometimes a more dishonest sculptor would take wax and they would put it in there 
so that it looked like nothing happened and it wasn't sensere. And so what Peter is reminding his readers about the love of brethren needs to be genuine and honest. That evil thoughts and feelings regarding a brother or a sister in Christ must be removed because we are to love deeply one another. And how many of you this morning might say, you know what, that is one of the challenges I face. I'm okay just kind of going through life, but when I meet a brother or a sister who rubs me the wrong way, that's one of the hardest things for me to, you know, say I'll do. And if in obedience you do it, guess what God is doing? He is carving holiness into your life because you've chosen to pursue it. And that kind of agape love can only come from an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Can only come from an infilling of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother, has a dislike for a brother or sister, says that that person is in darkness even until now. 1 John 2.11, but he who hates his brother or sister is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Beloved, discontent and dislike, a heavy dislike which translates into hatred, against a brother or a sister is, is clearly not to be so in our lives. So God purifies the soul. He brings new life, which is a, a changed way in which we deal with others. And thirdly, he reveals his word. Said there in verse uh, 23, that being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, notice how? Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Peter is reminding his audience, as the Spirit of God would remind us, that this change in their life, because it came through the word of God, it, it won't perish, because the word of God does not perish. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. But if you want to turn there for just a moment, keep your place in 1 Peter and turn backwards in your Bible to the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 40. And Peter quotes uh, verses 6 through 8. But if you'll turn to verse uh, 5 in chapter 40... It's interesting that in its context, Peter is actually dealing with God revealing his word. Isaiah 40, verse 5, he begins, and he says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, through his word, God reveals his glory. And then the psalmist goes on to say, the voice 
said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? And then he goes on, all flesh is as grass and all its loveliness like the flower of the field. And so he's talking about this word that has brought new life to the one who's obeyed the gospel once it came across their ear gate, their heart gate, and that this word is never going to perish. You ever think about the longevity of this thing called the Bible? You ever think about how long this has been around? I mean, first of all, we have Israel as custodians of the Old Testament for 3,000 years. Scribes giving their lives to making sure that with each generation, it's passed on to the next papri or scroll. And they were the ones responsible to carry this testament into the time in which Jesus would come on the scene. And here we are, you know, 2,000 years later, and we still have it. I'll read something to you. The New Testament has been preserved in more manuscripts than any other ancient work of literature, with over 5,800 complete fragments, Greek manuscripts cataloged, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and 9,300 manuscripts in various other ancient languages, Syriac, Slavic, Gothic, etc., I mean, Jesus said it in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 24, 35. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That is what Peter is reminding his readers, and we are reminded of this morning, that when God reveals his word, he's revealing something eternal and lasting. That's why we sing, speak the word. How many of you ever said, God, speak to me? Lord, Here's my ear. I'm listening. If you haven't done that, you need to try that. Because by the work of his spirit, through the ministry of his word, you will hear him speak. God is speaking. And he wants to speak to you and me personally. That's what God does at salvation. He purifies the soul he brings new life and new birth and reveals his word. So now we get into, well, what are we to do in light of that salvation? What are we to do? I mean, we see what God has done. We're talking about pursuing a holy life. What does that look like in terms of my everyday activities and who I am as an individual? I would remind you what Paul wrote to the Philippians. In Philippians 2.12, he said, Therefore, beloved, I'll read it for us, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12. It's a biblical admonition that there is a work that we are commanded to do. It's to work out our salvation. But as you're taking note this morning, remember this. We don't work for salvation. We work from salvation. Okay? So that great work that God does in and deeply in us at salvation, 
We work from that. And there are three things that come to light in the passage that are clearly things that we are to do. One is repentance. If I bring your attention again to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Laying aside. In other words, it was something that was in your direction of life, and now God says, I want you to lay all of that aside. I want you to go in a different direction. I want you to turn and head in the opposite direction that those things are. That's what repentance is. It's turning and going in the other direction. It begins at salvation. I know when Christ called my name and revealed himself to me, I was a young man, 15 years old, at a Christian camp, went down and answered a, an altar call and said, yes, I believe in the Son of God. I asked him to forgive me of my sin and to come and take over my life and live his life out through me. But there was, no, there was nothing to base that confession of faith on. I did not get into the Word of God. I did not stay into the Word of God. I simply thought it was a feeling that felt good. And within sight of a couple, three months, I was back doing the things that I was doing when I went to camp until 13 years later, all those things left me bankrupt emotionally, bankrupt physically, bankrupt circumstantially. No sooner did I just end up in the gutter or be a dope addict, I'd steal you blind if I could. And then I found myself camping again in the Sierras by a campfire, and God reminded me it was a campfire that you gave your life to me. I haven't forgotten that. I'm calling you to turn and go a different direction. Is he calling any one of you today? Is he calling you at home to turn and go a different direction? You might respond by saying, well, pastor, I'm already saved. Okay, wonderful. Repentance starts there, but it doesn't end there. We are to experience and know repentance our entire Christian life. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but, but the sorrow of the world produces death. A person can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that, but that's not change. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 7, 11, he says, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Repentance is something that should not be foreign to us throughout our whole life. When God does a work and he shows us an area of our life that, that he wants to see changed, he's saying, turn around and go the other direction. Now, what's clear in this passage is that Peter brings out Five attitudes of sin clearly that have to do with 
what a believer is to go in the other direction of, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Now, we know what happens when someone is malicious. They have evil intent. They have bad intent. They have wrong intent in whatever they're doing or whatever they say. It's malicious. It's not uplifting. But in deceit, sometimes a man or a woman, a young person, can play with deception by not telling all of the truth when God would say, no, I don't want any deceit taking place on the chalkboard of your heart or your life. You are mine, and I don't want any deceit there. I want full honesty. Hypocrisy, we know. Isn't it true that for years, some church haters would, go, would say, I don't want to go to church because it's just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And in other words, someone who would say they belong to Christ but live way differently. Someone who would say, yeah, the church is open to everyone, but when the broken and downtrodden and lost come in, they're, they're a bit on the affront. Have you seen that movie, The Jesus Revolution? Oh, it, it talks about a period of time when, when the church was somewhat a stiff neck. And here comes hippies that have been burnt out and found out that love wasn't free, that it came with disease and, and a whole lot of other things that complicated life. And yet they began to come to Christ through the ministry of, of a man named Lonnie Frisbee who met a pastor who had been pastoring for, gosh, I think Chuck was pastoring. He says sometimes it's like 15 to 17 years. And he thought he was at the end of his ministry until his church starts filling up with hippies. And I love that there's a scene, not to spoil it for you, but Chuck says something about, you know, that door works two ways. We want you here. Anybody can come on, come on in. This is your home. Come on in. But that, work, that door works two ways. In other words, if you're not at home here because of who's here, then you're free to leave. And there was a time in the church when unchurched would come and feel like those who were there were hypocritical because they weren't embraced. They didn't feel loved. And I hope that that would not ever be the case here. The church is so often likened unto a hospital. We have emergency where we're triaged and we find out you know, what's critically, critically wrong. And if there's bleeding, we stop the bleeding. If it's life-threatening, we, we, you know, do CPR and keep the person alive. And then if they need to be admitted, we just admit them into the loving care of the people of God, the Son of God, the Word of God. And then eventually they get healthy and whole and they go out into the world to share what God has done. Repentance. It's to be something that we are not 
not familiar with. A third thing that we're to do is to desire spiritual growth. Look at verse 2. In chapter 2, he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. The second thing we're to do is, is to have a desire to grow spiritually. Do you have that desire this morning? Perhaps you who are watching, do you have that desire this morning? You know, it's a logical and biblical question. Did you come to church this morning with, you know, I'm just happy where I'm at. Don't necessarily need my boat rocked. Uh, I want to go on with life as I know it to be. And so, you know, don't push my buttons. Don't push me forward into things that, that are going to ask God to change me. Oh, my goodness. No, we're to desire spiritual growth. We are to, to desire to grow spiritually. How do we grow spiritually? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. We grow firstly, there's such a word, by imbibing and digesting and consuming the word of God. By imbibing and digesting and consuming the word of God. It will grow us. We also grow as we commit to being in fellowship with other born-again believers and spending time with those who are growing and mature in the faith. I remember after rededicating my life to Christ, 1980, and going through a series of, of years when God would bring men across my path that were just, they were 5, 10, 15 years older. And they were just so mature in the Lord. And I aspired to that. I, I wanted that maturity. And I, there are still men today in my life path who have been in the pastorate for longer than me. I mean, I'm looking at 25 years this year. Do you know Calvary Chapel will be 25 years this year? And with five more years of assisting pastor, you know, we're looking at 30 years of ministry. And I look at some guys that have been in the senior role for 30 years or more, and I just aspire to what goes on in them. Is there anybody that you aspire to in faith? Perhaps it's someone you read. Perhaps it's someone you know. Vest yourself in, in getting familiar and continuing to digest what it means to grow. We grow as we pray. We grow as we bow our hearts, bow our knees, bow our being before Almighty God and ask Him to hear us and pouring out our heart to Him. We are to desire spiritual growth. We are to embrace repentance. And thirdly, this morning, we are encouraged by the Apostle Peter as he did to his readers, as we see in verse 3 there, 
to taste and see that the Lord is gracious. He says, he says that you may grow thereby, the end of verse 2, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And you might circle that word if. Because in the original language, it often refers to a word that makes uh, a little more, is a little more plausible. It refers to a word since. Like since you have seen, that, uh, tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious. And so, have you tasted and seen the Lord? Can you say without a doubt this morning, I've tasted and I've seen the Lord? Because the Lord wants us to uh, taste him, so to speak, to experience his goodness. We always use this illustration, Sherry and I both, with uh, someone who isn't saved or is not sure what you mean by taste and see that the Lord is gracious. Wipe the chalkboard clean mentally. Okay, nothing on chalkboard. What if I what if you had never ever in your life had chocolate cake? Never. I, I know it that it's gonna take some work to think about that. <laughs> but think about it, you've never had never had chocolate cake. And someone comes to you and says, let me explain what chocolate cake is like. There would be something lost in the description, right? No matter what words you used, what, what verbs, what object, adjectives, however you phrased it, there would be something lost in the translation. And then all of a sudden you reach behind you and you pull out this rich, glorious piece of chocolate cake. You say, here, just taste this. I know your mouths are watering. Is he about done? I'm going to go have some chocolate cake after. <laughs> but that's what we're talking about is Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Son of God through the Spirit of God wants you to take a big bite of the chocolate cake of God. <laughs> that could be a stretch, but it's there. Remember Jeremiah he did eat the word, and it was to him sweet. And so my exhortation this morning is if you've never tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you've never seen with your spiritual eye God's grace in your life, he wants each of us too. Years ago, down south, and close with this illustration, Two years of school ministry, spending time with Pastor Chuck Smith, and there were a handful of us men, 20, 25 of us, that said we want to be in ministry, and so we, we signed up for two years of in-depth study in the Word of God and training and that sort of thing, and some of, most of those men are still in ministry today, and I met uh, several gracious and wonderful guys, but one of them uh, was from Russia. Uh, Yugoslavia, in that area, his name was Yuri. 
And he's still around today. I'm not sure where he's ministering, but we were in a circle one morning and we would have these devotions each morning to talk about what God's doing in our life. And if you've ever been in a circle with other Christians and, and now it's your turn to talk about what God's doing in your life, uh, it's a powerful thing. And I remember just going around, there were several of us going around, well, this is, you know, this is going on in my life, this is going And it came to Yuri. And all of a sudden, this, you know, strong, strapping Russian guy just started to weep, cry, and bawl. And he couldn't, he was so overwhelmed with tears, he couldn't even speak. And, and, and then he explained what was going on. He said, and I'll try and do him justice and not, you know, hurt the language too much. He says, I'm sorry, guys. I'm just getting hit by the grace of God. God's grace was hitting him afresh to where he couldn't even speak when he realized how gracious God has been to you, how gracious he has been to me. And I pray that this week you would be hit afresh by God's grace. That's what it means to taste and see the Lord is gracious. How to pursue holy living in a practical way? Well, remember what God does at salvation. Purifies the soul, brings new life, and reveals his word. What are we to do as we work from salvation? We remember to embrace repentance. Going a different direction in the things that God reminds us to do. Desire to grow spiritually and taste and see that the Lord is good. Will you bow with me in a word of prayer as the men come to prepare for communion? Lord, this morning as we prepare to take the, the bread and the cup, it is only because you are gracious that we can even do that. You gave your life and gave this right into the New Testament life of the body of Christ, your church, that we would remember what you have done. So that as we remember, Lord, your spirit and your love would woo us, inviting us, calling us to holy living. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. That you love us so much that you gave your life. And you would ask that we in turn would give our lives afresh back to you. What a good father. 
What a precious Savior. And we thank you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name.